Welcome to the exam room brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Dr. Neil Barnard off traveling the world, spreading the message of plant-based nutrition and preventative medicine. Important work, so he will be back on the show next week. You know, more parents are turning toward a plant-based diet for their kids. It's because one in five children in this country are obese. That's according to the CDC. I definitely fell into that category. I was well over 100 pounds by the second, maybe third grade, and nearly 300 pounds by the time that I graduated from high school. You know, and of course, just like with adults, when you are obese, there are serious problems that come with that. Chronic diseases. And many of these chronic diseases we would only associate with a middle-aged person, but now we're seeing high blood pressure, fatty liver disease, even heart disease in children. Dr. Asha Supermanian, she's going to be on the program today. She's a plant-based physician who is also raising a family. Here are the conversations that she has with patients, many of whom, as a family practitioner, they're children. It's interesting to find out what she's observed as far as the change in the rate of obesity and the health of adolescents since she began practicing some time ago. We'll also hear from nurse practitioner Gretchen Housel from the Barnard Medical Center. She's going to be on the program. Gretchen is raising a two-year-old on a vegan diet. So we're going to ask her about keeping it plant-based not only at home currently, but during her pregnancy. We also want to hear about how she's countering outside influences and peer pressure from others. You know, should I be eating that ice cream? Should I be eating that burger? You know, everybody else is. Those are tough things for a kid to think about. So what advice does she have? Plus, we'll revisit an interview that I did with NASCAR driver Landon Castle. He's vegan, keeps it plant-based while speeding around that track. You know, we've heard from two plant-based mothers, and now we're going to get the father's point of view about raising a child on a vegan diet. But we start the vegan parenting episode with my conversation with Dr. Asha Supermanian. This is the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. The weight loss champion Chuck Carroll here with you. Give the show a follow on social media, Twitter at PCRM, Facebook. Just search out Physicians Committee. Same thing on Instagram. We are on all the platforms that you need. And, of course, as always, subscribe to the Exam Room on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you consume your media. We want you to go there, and we want you to subscribe. Today's show all about vegan parenting. More and more parents are subscribing to plant-based diets for their children, and there are some challenges that come with that, but those challenges far outweighed by the health benefits that come as well. So to help me talk more about that is Dr. Asha Subramaniam. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chuck. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Glad to be here. You caught my eye a few months back at another Physicians Committee event called Vegan This. And you come on there and you you know your stuff. And uh, I, I was really pleased that not only are you a practicing physician, but you are also raising uh, your, your family to be plant-based. And, and so you, you know. You know all about what it is that I'm about to ask you. I hope so. <laughs> so let's let's keep this uh, from a clinical standpoint. 
up front. And one of the things that plagued me, you know, at my heaviest, I was 420 pounds. And as a child, I just became progressively larger and larger and larger. I mean, I was obese probably starting in preschool. Um, But in, in your practice, how prevalent is childhood obesity, and have you noticed an uptick since you came out of medical school? I would say the prevalence of obesity in my practice is about 20%, which parallels the national averages as mm. um, shown by the CDC. Um, I would say, depending on the setting where I practiced, I would see a little more obesity, a little less obesity. Um, I've practiced in a variety of settings, including a private suburban practice, also an urban underserved community health center practice. I would say in the latter, I probably saw a little more obesity. And that's um, due to some other social and cultural challenges, which we can talk about. Sure. Yeah. That that jibes with not just childhood obesity, but the overall prevalence of Mm -hmm. obesity uh, in America. America as well. Um, well, let's kind of st- stick on that. I mean, we can kind of speculate that a lot of this has to do with the fast food diets and, you know, the readily available junk food that's out there. But as a doctor yourself, what do you think are some of these contributing factors here to the spike, particularly among children? Yeah, I think there's a whole um, array of factors. I think people are very Um, quick to point to one factor. They'll say, oh, it's fast food. Mm -hmm. Or they'll say, oh, it's sugar or sodas or processed foods. And of course, those all have a great place in this issue. I also think that um, the increased portion sizes of food. So, you know, if you go back and compare even at McDonald's and the 50s and 60s, what a standard soda drink was versus what is now. It's much, much bigger. Um, I also think that there are other factors such as, you know, kids used to play outside. So, you know, exercise. So kids used to play outside. They used to bike to school. They used to walk to school. I mean, certainly I did it as a kid. Hopefully this is not aging me too much. (laughs) No, I I walked to school as well. Uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. Right. And now um, the statistics are saying that there's 50 to 60 percent of kids get driven to school. And it's because parents often feel it's not safe for the child to walk to school or bike to school themselves. Um, sometimes it's just the distance of the school from where the parents live. Um, so there, there's that factor, too. So lack of exercise. Also, after school sports and gym in school is being cut. Yep. So budgets are not including exercise in school. Um, even in the very good school district that my daughter is zoned for, um, she's four. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, in, I would say, what, in 2019, when she starts kindergarten, I believe it's only 30 minutes of recess a day, which is not enough, in my opinion, right. um, for, for kids to thrive. And so. I would think 30 minutes. I mean, some schools have even cut recess altogether. Um, That's right. And, and physical education. I remember in my elementary school in particular, not only did we have recess, but we had PE as well. I mean, they kept us active. And I, I think... It was by design, so we were a little bit more settled Mm -hmm. in the classroom as well because we had burned off that energy. Yeah. I also think there's a couple other factors. um, One is that you have um, cultural factors. So um, you have TV. Mm -hmm. You have more sedentary lifestyle. So that goes along with the exercise. So TV and video games. So kids are not as active. They're not playing outside after school. Sometimes that's safety issues. Sometimes it's parents working long hours and um, not as involved perhaps in the children's lives to 
get more exercise. And um, also, I would say, um, I would say also just um, just the overall that there's an acceptance of being overweight. Right. There's an acceptance of being obese. Right. Um, and oh well, you know, and I saw this a lot with families. Oh, you know. I'm overweight, my kid is overweight, my mom and dad were overweight, it's genetic. Mm -hmm. And I try not to let people off the hook that easily right. because there certainly genetics are about 5% or so of obesity, but if we study the and we look at epigenetic epigenetics, so that's um how genetics are expressed in Oh yeah, the it's one of my favorite favorite areas. Super fascinating. Yeah. Super fascinating. So, you know, we find that you may have the gene, but it may not be expressed or it may be expressed depending on how your environment is and how you set yourself up for success is mm -hmm. what I like to call it. So, Yeah, I, I love uh, in particular uh, in school we saw a case study of identical twins and one was morbidly obese and the other one was very active, very healthy. And I mean, obviously looking at them, you would never think in a million years that they were in fact twins, but that happened to be the case. Mm -hmm. And that's that's epigenetics in a nutshell right there. Right. And, and the thing is also when we look at the science, the CDC does some studies every few years, and I believe the last one was 2015 or 2016. So they found that the um, prevalence of obesity has tripled since the 1970s. Mm -hmm. So that's maybe, what, one or two generations? Yeah. And how can genetics and genes change that quickly? They don't. So we know it's the environment. So it's a multifactorial problem. I want to go back to what you were talking about as far as acceptance. And this is a, this is a difficult question. And I know that I personally have gotten blowback on my opinion of this. And possibly my opinion is, is formed because of my, my history. But it is becoming more and more accepted to be obese. And I think that here's where people kind of have, have a problem with me. And let me just clarify here. I'm speaking as Chuck Carroll. I'm not speaking on behalf of the Physicians Committee. When people say that they love their body, they you know love to be 350 pounds, they're not ashamed of it, they're going to go to the beach in a bikini, wonderful. I'm glad that you are comfortable in your own skin. I, as a former morbidly obese person, interpret that as an excuse to not try to be healthy. You will tell yourself anything when you are super overweight to kind of deny that you actually have a health problem because that's what it is. So by saying that you love yourself and you don't have to change, you're actually doing yourself a disservice. And so while it's wonderful that we are taking a stand against body shaming, which is horrible, I also think that it's a fine line between loving yourself and who you are and not taking care of yourself and using that as an excuse to not do so. Any thoughts there? I mean, that's a very kind of fine line that you're walking, but that's just the way that I interpret that. Yeah, I would say I, I as a physician, I bring it back to the science and I bring it back to the the med, medicine and the health. So essentially, you know, I look at it as, and, and I had this, I had many patients who, um, I wish I had their numbers right here in front of me, <laughs> but, you know, I had patients that were 
morbidly obese and obese, and their their lab numbers were perfect. Right. I mean, they had cholesterol better than you and me, probably. Sure. And, you know, their blood sugar was good, and um, their blood pressure was good. And, you know, there there's a lot of debate in the scientific community about um, – healthy obesity and what that means and does it really exist right um i would say most people even though i had anecdotally several patients like that you know most people did end up showing declaring themselves essentially on through their health right so they would declare themselves as pre starting to have pre-diabetes or diabetes or high blood pressure or pre-high blood pressure or cholesterol or they may have had a heart attack or mm-hmm. you know what whatever it is or arthritis so i think most people can't escape that right. um there are people though that do do fine and as far as you know as far as we know so i think that is a very hotly debated topic in the medical community about is there healthy obesity i mean bmi is obviously when we so let's define obesity so right. bmi body mass index so that's you know weight over um, uh, kilograms over meters right, squared, essentially right. weight over height. So, um, you know, there are there are different um, different indicators of, or I'm sorry, measurements of BMI for athletes. Um, there are different measurements of BMI for other people. The definition of BMI for children, so obesity in children is above the 95th percentile of BMI. Isn't it in adults? It's like. 30? Do you know? Yeah, adults is, is 30, th- and then morbid obesity. Some people say 35, some people say 40. Are those numbers identical for children, or is that a different scale? It's then? a different scale. Okay. Um, it depends on the age. It depends on, um, you know, if you have premature kids, that they fall on a different um, they they don't go by age. They mm-hmm. look at, you know, how old were they at birth, and then extrapolate from there. Um, so it's it it is measured similarly but not there's not these hard and fast numbers right um i want to go back to the chronic diseases that you were just touching on yes. and one of the things that i've been reading and the studies have come out correct me if i'm wrong is that we're also in addition to seeing the elevated uh cases of obesity among children is now we are starting to see those chronic diseases sneak in among mm-hmm. children we're talking about diseases that we wouldn't ordinarily associate with anybody younger than 40, 45 years old. What kind of problems did you begin to see as a physician as that obesity level continued to climb? I definitely saw several cases of um, high cholesterol. Mm -hmm. I saw kids um, started having uh, fatty liver disease. Essentially, the liver um, had fat um, in deposition in the liver, so that was toxic to the liver. The liver started dysfunctional, became dysfunctional, and then you could see it in you know elevated liver enzymes. Diabetes. Um, we often associate diabetes in children, type one diabetes, sure. which is the one where the autoimmune, essentially diabetes, where the pancreas is attacked by autoantibodies. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would start seeing type two diabetes. I saw a lot of asthma in kids that um, were overweight and obese, um, allergies, and those two conditions, as well as diabetes and other conditions I've mentioned are often related to chronic inflammation. Sure. So you have chronic inflammation and even the um, adipose tissue, the the fat tissue can release factors that cause inflammation 24-7. And that leads to higher rates of these diseases. Um, Also, um, you know, Michael Greger, as um, 
has talked about how most um, children in this country have some early signs of heart disease, of coronary disease, by the time they're age 10. Wow. So I'm sure in some of the kids that I took care of and we all take care of, we're seeing that probably earlier, even age three and four. Uh, that's that's really alarming to me. I never was tested for that, but I remember distinctly being 13, maybe 14 years old and being put on beta blockers for high blood pressure. Wow. Um, I remember like it was consistently between 170 and 190 over, you know, probably 95 or 100 or something wow. like that. Um, but again, I mean, in high school, I was, I was close to 300, if if not right there before I graduated. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's just scary. And you're talking about heart disease. And I would think as a physician, that even if a child who is obese does not present with high cholesterol, fatty liver disease, mm -hmm. you kind of have to think that that's coming down the line at some yes. point. And it's coming a lot sooner than, like you mentioned, 40 or 45. Although I, I do have to say, I often saw many adults in their 30s having diseases like heart disease right. and diabetes and high cholesterol, high blood pressure. Um, but in these kids, um, you can yeah, you can just see it coming. And um, I think part part of our struggle, but part of the joy of practicing medicine is to see these kids and turn turn it around, right. turn it around early when hopefully they're a little more less entrenched in their ways yeah. <laughs> than, than you know they would be. Well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about turning things around because uh, one of the big things in the news recently has been the menu labeling and the caloric information that's going to be posted on every menu in every chain restaurant you know that's now required by law and if you request it a full breakdown of, of everything that you're eating there um, the FDA chairman Dr. Scott Gottlieb posted a really lengthy blog the day that this became law and one of the big takeaways that I saw in that blog was he wrote that just 64 fewer calories per day on average would help meet the goal of reducing childhood obesity by 2020. 64 calories. That seems like a pretty low number to me. Yeah. So I also saw that um, same blog post and there was a article, I believe, in the Washington Post also recently. So 64 calories. I'm not sure where Dr. Gottlieb came up with that um, that number, and we can certainly look at it and get back to our listeners. Sure, but um, you know, our what we understand um, in it, from the science is that if you reduce fifty to sixty-four calories a day, then you will prevent three to five pounds of weight gain per year. So twenty twenty is a year and a half away. I'm not sure how we can completely turn the obesity epidemic in this country among kids and adults around in that short of a time, but I think it's a great suggestion and a great start. However, I would also add that we're not talking, at least Dr. Gottlieb in, with his focus in his blog, was not talking about, uh, we're talking about, okay, 64 less calories, so quantitative things. Right. We're not talking about quality. So instead of reducing 50 or 64 calories, how about adopting a plant-based diet where we're eating beans and legumes, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, grains, whole grains, right. you know, and getting quality, better quality calories. For sure. Well, that, that leads me to my next question. Did you ever try to talk to your patients, coach them, counsel them on at least looking into a plant-based diet and going into the health benefits that lie within? 
Absolutely. And I think... Um, you know, I'm now, as I talked to you earlier, I'm in the process of getting more education on how sure. to do that because that's my passion and what I want to do moving forward. Yeah. But um, when I was at my last practice, I definitely, I definitely tried to talk to every single patient about this, um, especially at their annual exam. Um, talk about the benefits of adding even one more fruit, one more vegetable a day. You know, trying to see where are they at mm-hmm. so preaching never works right like you must be this and i had <laughs> and i had people who would challenge me they would say well are you vegan and yeah. I'd say well i am actually yeah but you know i didn't start out as vegan um i came to this after many years and um you know, I think that was really valuable because um, then they would ask me, you know, m- most of my patients knew I have a young family. They would say, you know, well, well how do you work with it with your husband, with your daughter, um, when you go places, yeah. what do you do? So I think speaking from an, a place of honesty and a, a place of like the real world, like how does this work in the real world? Um, obviously, if somebody came in and they, let's say they're showing prediabetes, they're overweight, they have a touch of high blood pressure, you know, then I would say, um, yeah, really how I would present it is, well, we have medications that we can give you. And I would say that's pro- that's the easier thing to do. That's sort of the standard thing to do. Would you like to learn more about another option, mm. which is plant-based diet? And this approach comes from the motivational interviewing philosophy. So right. it's meeting the patient, meeting the client where they are, and having them decide what they want to do to improve their health. And I think that's very important because if you the, – the typical sort of doctor visit says – well, you need to lose weight. You need to exercise. Well, we're writing prescriptions, you know, take beta blockers twice a day or once a day, but we're saying lose weight and exercise. Yeah. That's very nonspecific. It is not helpful. (laughs) (laughs) So um, one of the things I would do is often write a prescription. Like I would say add more, and I use some of the physician committee's materials. Um, Thank you for that. Yes. So I would say, Let's add one meatless meal a week. That was a very common thing. Okay. Because most people would say, oh, I eat meat twice a day with meals or, you know, three meals a day, Mm -hmm. Um, snacks too. (laughs) So Get that jerky. Yeah, exactly. So so I would say, well, how about doing, you know, have you heard of Meatless Monday? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. Um, Well, you know, what do you think of that? Oh, I think that's okay. So... Well, let's talk about how we can take what what do you like to eat? What do you what do you eat on Mondays? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people eat the same thing every Monday, every Tuesday, or you know, what do you like to eat for dinner? Sure. Um, I like to have um, spaghetti with meat sauce. Well, how about doing you know marinara sauce without meat, and then adding some vegetables to that? These are some ways we can do it. Talking about cooking techniques, blending vegetables so we don't taste the vegetables right, for right. those of us who don't like vegetables. Yeah, right. Not not quite ready to eat those. Brussels not quite sprouts. ready to eat those Brussels sprouts. Oh, I love Brussels sprouts. Oh, I do. <laughs> is there anything better than roasted Brussels sprouts? No. <laughs> I mean, those are a go-to in my house. I Absolutely. mean, I love, and they're so easy to make. They are um, but really it's um you know getting back to your question so it's it's really um seeing where the patient is on the spectrum of of eating so there's yeah. plant perfect you know eating a hundred percent plant-based all the time anywhere everywhere and then there's I'm starting out I don't really know where to turn so I unfortunately in my office I never had the luxury of having wonderful dietitians as you all have here in the 
PCRM at the Barnard Medical Center. Right. So I think also getting um, a friendly, a plant-friendly dietitian on board, um, resources for the patients, you know, all this is very important. Now, what I've just said is very hard to do in a 15-minute visit, which is a standard no doubt. visit. But, you know, I had the luxury of being a primary care doctor and seeing the patients over time. So I often would have them email me with progress reports or come back in a month and give them progress reports. So that's how I functioned. It was it was tough. <laughs> you, you were the minority as far as physicians. I mean, you went above and beyond. And the fact that you took the time to help them meal plan or baby step them along the way, give them ideas on how to do Meatless Monday with the prescription, very creative. I honestly, I, I wish that there were more doctors like you out there because like you were talking about, it's it's their formula is one size fits all on how to get healthy, lose weight and exercise. How? Right. And, and also, I think uh, we didn't really touch on this, but there has to be more education on healthcare for healthcare professionals. Sure. And, you know, I um, I came to this from. Probably I came to I would say I mostly came to plant based diets initially from animal ethics from mm-hmm. that perspective mm-hmm. and I was vegetarian for twenty twenty five years prior to going plant based yeah um, but as I became more educated what other choice is there sure you know this is the choice right. to do and luckily you know the public is catching up restaurants are catching up um, you don't have to eat cook every day if you don't want to, you know, that kind of thing. But I think there's a a real lack of knowledge and education among healthcare professionals. And Mm -hmm. I I know PCRM is one of the great organizations that's working towards educating healthcare professionals. Absolutely. And um, just a a couple uh, more for you. I want to talk about uh, women who are expecting and um, if if that's, you know, a good idea to be plant-based during that. Um, and I will say for the listeners, stick around. I'm going to play a clip from an interview I did recently with the NASCAR driver Landon Castle, who is, you know, in addition to just being hysterical, um, his family is 100% plant-based and very happily so. Uh, he and I got a chance to talk about how his wife was able to keep the vegan diet during pregnancy. But uh, Dr. Supermanian, from your particular um, standpoint as a physician uh, and a find one at that. Um, Thank you. What what kind of challenges arise for a woman as they are pregnant but stick with that plant-based diet? Or is it just a myth that it's a difficult thing to do and you really have to walk, you know, a tightrope to, to do it? I actually thought it was quite easy and I did it during my pregnancy. Okay. Um, so that was... Um, you know, I thought that it was it was quite easy to do. Um, I must say that um, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, so it's a very um, prominent organization in the nutrition community and the medical community. So they came out with a paper in 2016, a position paper saying that vegan and vegetarian diets are very safe and effective and recommended for all stages of life. Mm-hmm. So from pregnancy, childhood, young adulthood, middle age, seniors, everyone. Right. So I think the safety issue is not there. Although, you know, healthcare professionals um, who are not um, knowledgeable about this kind of um, eating style and the research behind it, the science, the many decades of science will say, oh, you're vegetarian. You need to go see a dietitian, which is what my OB did. Love my OB. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but 
you know, he wanted me to see a dietitian, which I think is actually fine. Okay. And I found a um, plant-based friendly dietitian and uh, she gave me wonderful suggestions. So uh, stepping back. So in pregnancy, really, um, you know, one of the things is, um, well, there's two things. So there's nutrient intake. So you need to have more of certain nutrients and also caloric intake. Sure. So it's really in the first trimester, you don't need more calories. Okay. It's the second trimester. It's about four uh, three, 350 to 400, and then in the um, third trimester, you need about four to 500 more calories. Um, now, how did, you, how did you coach your patients to do that? Or what did you do? Because mm-hmm. as you know, vegan or not, you know, there are healthy calories and right. there are junk calories. Right. So what is your recommendation for how to get that caloric intake while still keeping it healthy? Yeah, so I would find um, in the first trimester, you know, me personally, I had some nausea. Um, I did not have the very severe form hyperemesis like some people have, but I had nausea. I didn't want to eat that much. Um, it would have been hard for me to increase my caloric intake per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the second and third trimesters, what I advise people is to try to pick from healthy healthful foods that are plant-based like nuts and seeds and um, avocados, um, smoothies, um, things that will go down easily if you have nausea, you know, and or can be um, supplemented to your diet quickly. Um, You naturally feel more hungry uh, as you're pregnant because your body is working to produce produce the baby. So um, it really wasn't a difficult thing. Um, I would say eating more of like bigger portions, you know, more of that spinach and tofu soup or Mm -hmm. whatever you like. (laughs) So um, I think it's just it's the quality of the calories and also um, and, and, you know, your OB will track the weight gain um, every time you go. And um, there was never a problem. You know, typical weight gain for a woman is 25 to 35 pounds, um, depending on if you're normal weight or over or underweight when you start um, right. the pregnancy. So, you know, it was never it was never a problem. Um, now, supplements. So, um Traditionally, you know, OBGYNs will say, you know, take a prenatal vitamin. Why is that? So that has iron in it. So the iron requirements in pregnancy do go up, and especially the second and third trimester is about to 27 milligrams. Normally mm-hmm. it's about 18 milligrams for everybody else. Um, then, so the so the prenatal vitamins have more iron. They also have folic acid. So folic acid is very important to prevent neural tube defects, and often if you know that you're trying to start a family, um, the OBs will recommend starting the prenatal vitamin with folic acid prior to pregnancy um, to have that folic acid in the blood at the time of conception. Um, the third thing is DHA. So I know you had a show on omega-3 yes. DHA recently. Yes. So DHA, so you know, people think, oh, it's fish oil. And it's, yes, you know, fish oil has DHA in it, but it's really the plants, the algae that the fish eat. Mm-hmm. That where the fish derive the DHA from. So there, uh, I have no stock in this company, but there's some company called Neuromins that has a DHA, um, algae-based DHA, which is vegan. So okay. you know that would be another another thing to add. So, and then B12, of course. Sure. So B12 is also in the prenatal vitamin typically. Um, so it, really it would just be a prenatal vitamin and maybe a DHA supplement. Oh, that's not too bad at all. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah. And of course, you know, eating your 
power plates, so fruits, vegetables, grains, legumes, nuts, seeds, all that. For sure. So basically, it sounds to me, stay the course, a mm-hmm. couple extra supplements, and you're good to go. Yeah, maybe some more avocado yeah. and some yeah. more nuts and things like that. Well, who doesn't Black like seed. avocado? You were just exactly. talking about smoothies. I mean, the, yeah. it's so easy to thicken a smoothie with, yeah. with a little avocado. Yeah, and you know, you could even add... This is debated, but if you want to do some oil, you could even add a little bit of coconut oil, a little right. bit of other oils into the into your smoothies. So, well, Doctor Asha Subramanian, I, I thank you for your time. I feel like we could go another half hour on I this know. easily. I mean, there's so much ground to cover with this, but uh, but alas, maybe we can circle back and do vegan parenting part two. And Absolutely, have you, and have you back in. So, uh, thank you very much for your time. I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you. Oh, we're going to shake hands. That's the first on the podcast. All right. Um, so. Stick around. Coming up right after this, we're going to uh, hear from NASCAR driver Landon Castle about how his wife and his family now keeps it 100% plant-based while he's circling the track at 200 miles an hour. This is The Exam Room brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Now, I understand that you are a new father as well. How's uh, how's fatherhood treating you, man? Uh, It's wonderful. It's wonderful. My wife and I have a -a two-and-a-half-year-old boy. Um, who's, uh, I think he's about ready to go to the park right now uh-huh. and play. <laughs> and, uh, and then we have a three week old, uh, uh, little girl. So, um, the timing was just right with our new baby. The, the season is coming to a close. And, um, and so now that it's over, I think I can, uh, get up in the middle of the night and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and help mom out a little bit. Yeah. I'm sure your wife is grateful. Um, <laughs> y- your boy, are you raising him plant-based as well? Yes, yes. Um, he's uh, he's a little vegan kid, so cool. <laughs> um, it's uh, you know at his age right now, um, you know he eats what we feed him, um, so I don't think he knows any different. Um, when he gets older and starts going to friends' house, um, you know I'm sure he's gonna have a pepperoni pizza at somebody's birthday party someday. <laughs> um, you know I'm sure when he in the lunch line in school he's gonna um, make his own decisions. Yeah. Uh, so you know we're not. Uh, you know, he's, he's going to be his own person and whoever he wants to be. Um, you know, we, if he chooses to eat meat, then that's his choice. Um, but, uh, he'll probably have to cook it for himself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. And, um, and, you know, we're just going to lead, uh, lead by our own example as parents. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully even at a young age, you know, he's interested in, in why we eat the way we eat. Mm -hmm. If it's, um, you know, I personally believe that 10 years from now, the way we eat won't be so different. Right. Um, you know, right now it's it's easy to say, yeah, we eat different than everybody else. But um, I don't think that's going to be the case 10, 10 years from now. I agree. Um, so I don't think I don't think it'll be unfamiliar for him um, to be a 10 year old at school and, and have uh, friends that are plant based. But uh, but if that's the case, you know, he'll um, he'll have his own understanding of why and, and why, why his parents do what they do. And, and he'll make his own decision. Landon Castle, NASCAR driver, 200 miles an hour around the track, and his family 100% plant-based. That was an excerpt from an interview that we did a number of months ago. Really interesting insight from the male perspective. But let's talk to the fairer sex. And there happens to be a wonderful nurse practitioner upstairs who is 100% plant-based, has children, has a family, and a friend of the show. So with that, we welcome nurse practitioner at the Barnard Medical Center. Gretchen Housel, back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I want to get your insight as the mom in the family. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, guys, we have our own take on things. 
but the mom, you guys really run the show. You know, yeah. uh, guys will tell you this. This is just the fact. The mom I runs the house. I do most of the cooking, correct? Exactly, yes. exactly. So uh, how, how is that? I mean, you have children and there are outside influences, but yeah. mom has, you know, mom's got the grand say here. So, I mean, <laughs> what is the diet like at, at your household there? Well, so I have a, a two-year-old son mm-hmm. and I'm raising him to be plant-based as well. So I make all of his meals. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I send him with some stuff some food to go um, to his nanny's house during the day. And so I just pack him, you know, some pretty basic staples, um, beans, greens, whole grains, fruits, vegetables, that sort of thing. So um, he does really well and he's a healthy, happy little guy who's developing just just fine. Um, So he hasn't had the taste yet for, you know, anything uh, meat or dairy or anything like that. Are you concerned as a parent that at some point that might get introduced out of the house. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm glad you're talking about this on the show today because it's a question that I think that's the biggest problem for people following a plant-based diet is all the social pressures. Right. And children themselves have a whole another layer of challenges. So um, there have definitely been times when we are at a party and there's a spread of appetizers Mm -hmm. and there's chips and salsa and, you know, the strawberries and things that he will eat. But then there's also shrimp. And so what do you do? Um, And every parent is going to be different because when you have a a two-year-old standing there hungry and he wants to eat what everybody else is eating, what do you do? Well, uh, let let me stop you there. I'm assuming this was not a child's birthday party that had shrimp. I've been to many a children's birthday <laughs> a parties Year's growing party. up. Okay, I was about to say, I was like, wait, what? A, a cake and ice cream I get, but shrimp? Like, no way. <laughs> um, so uh, I know he's two years old now, and I think that you, you have a little bit better handle on things. Have you thought about how you're going to kind of coach him up as he gets older and goes off to school where they have school lunches and definitely will have more peer pressure there? Yeah, I think when when he gets older, it's just going to be it's going to have to come from inside him. I can't police him all the time and I can't tell him to say yes to this and no to that. Um, So, you know, I'm going to tell him why I eat the way that I do and why we eat the way that we do. And whether or not he takes that when he goes to the school cafeteria, that's kind of that will be up to him. And I'll just just do my best to, to encourage him. Let me ask you this kind of fun question. I remember watching a sitcom back in the day, and there was uh, one character on there who was, uh, thinking back, I mean, 20 years ahead of her time as far as, you know, wanting to raise her kid uh, on a vegan diet. But at that point, she was kind of chastised for this cake that she was making. I can't remember if it was like a carrot cake or an applesauce cake or whatever it was. Her father was like, none of the kids are going to eat this. It's going to, you know, taste like garbage. He tastes it, and he's Oh, this is the worst thing ever. <laughs> I, you know, obviously it's TV. I didn't taste the cake. I don't know if she's a good cook or not. But, yeah. you know, my question is, uh, from a parent standpoint, are you worried that maybe he might get teased a little bit? I know that that's kind of like a harsh question, but. I mean, he could. And I think I will just prepare him with the knowledge and the information for how to respond to that. But if he does get teased and he gets teased into eating pizza and he has pizza 
I, I'm okay with that. And I think that, you know, just as I've had a gradual progression of my diet into mm-hmm. what it is today, and I continue, I think it will continue to change. Um, I expect the same thing for, for him as well, especially across the developmental stages. Yeah, I don't have very few people, I believe, are, you know, born into the plant-based diet. It, it, it yeah. is that progression. Everybody yeah. kind of has... Well, the majority of people kind of have that aha moment, you know what right, I mean? Right, right. So uh, I'm actually kind of glad to hear that you're not overly concerned about slip-ups and you're just going to kind of... Maybe it's just my style of f- parenting. Well, no, I, I, <laughs> it's, you know, it's unfortunate if it happens, I think, but at the same time, we're talking about realistic here, you know, Absolutely. realistic expectations. Yeah, and, you yeah. Know, kids being kids, you know, it is what it is. And plus... You know, there's going to be that peer pressure that he's going to put on himself. Like if everybody else is eating that pizza with extra cheese and he's over there, you know, eating his chips and salsa, which tastes great. But yeah. it's not pizza, you know, he wants to fit in. That's that's tough for a kid, whether it's food exactly. or anything else. It's been hard for me as an adult to handle the social implications of being plant-based. I'd say it's, what, like I said, it's one of the most challenging things that people face. So to handle that as a 2-year-old, 4-year-old, 13-year-old boy, um, I think that's going to be, be challenging for sure. Wow, you're even getting it as an adult, huh? Who's giving you those ribs? Who do I need to talk to? <laughs> I think everybody who follows a vegan diet has been taunted before, right? Yeah. Oh, just have one bite. Yeah. It's not going to hurt you. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you ever get the, uh, oh, but butter's healthy kind of uh, arguments from, from people? I still get that one. No, no. People have stopped. I think we all have nutrition fatigue a little bit. Uh-huh. It's a little like politics. And so when you're at dinner parties and things, I think people are just so tired of you know, running into the same barriers and the fences that we've all built up. Right. And that nobody's really willing to change, it seems like, in social situations. Sure. Kind of like politics and religion. So so I think that uh, I also want to ask you about this because I know that in many households, you know, maybe the mother is 100% vegan, the father is not. I mean, how does one go about yeah. shopping for that and determining which diet the child will follow that's that's actually got to be a pretty serious conversation that the husband and wife have to have there yeah absolutely i would say it requires um an immense amount of communication talking about why the person who is vegan eats the way that they do um and what they want for for the child and also it it also requires a fair amount of research between the the parties Mm -hmm. so um you know whether the the diet because a child can follow a plant based diet a vegan diet and eat really really unhealthily so it still needs to be a well planned right. vegan diet so you know the person that wants the the child to maybe follow a plant based diet they really need to know know their information and know you know where is the child going to get calcium and omega threes and B twelve and that sort of thing um, and then the person that doesn't want to eat that way you know describe why they don't and um, whether or not they're open to their child being either a hundred percent plant-based or or mostly so so it's just and it's so you know i feel like i'm giving the politically correct answer but it is so unique between couples some people have absolutely no issue whatsoever right and then some people feel like it's a stab you know every time the yeah the the wife says or the, the husband says oh you know leave the cheese off and the kid right. just ordered a quesadilla right. so like what I, I know in particular that uh there is one couple who i know um the father was 
adamantly against this and but said that and this is this is really not the nicest story in the world but i think that it's <laughs> it's reality and so i'm going to tell it anyway but he told the the wife that if she can find a doctor who will tell him and explain to him why the child would thrive on the plant-based diet then he would consider it mm-hmm. they picked the doctor the husband so adamantly against it goes to the doctor ahead of time and is like you will not tell her this wow yeah wow. isn't that crazy that is crazy <laughs> I, I, I mean like there are a whole host of issues there beyond just arguing Absolutely. the diet but yeah. i mean it's like wow yeah and so when you think about those type of pressures when you're, you're talking about a couple and, and the child involved, I mean, that's that's heavy duty, Gretchen. Exactly. Yes, it is very heavy duty. So I think that all you can do is try to be an adult about it and try to take it as objectively as you can and um, use, use some resources right. in the process. Do you recommend when you start having that conversation do you i mean come armed with research and like a binder full of studies and things like that <laughs> um i think it definitely pays to do your research show a chapter in a book um brenda davis's book becoming vegan has a great chapter about plant-based children mm-hmm. um and to you know talk about why it's a healthful thing to do i yeah i you could do that yeah if your if your partner is is swayed by <laughs> you know that sort of thing um, so yeah, I got you. Uh, nurse practitioner Gretchen Housel from the Barnard Medical Center is the guest on the program. By the way, people can come and see you uh, yes. up, upstairs. Yes, you know, that's I the... see patients. I'm a I'm a primary care provider. Right, and you know, but who doesn't need a primary care provider? <laughs> Everybody needs one. Um, exactly. So that's that's the cool thing. So uh, BarnardMedicalCenter.com or PC uh, PCRM.org will uh, also have that for you so um go and and get an appointment with gretchen she's she's good people um i want to ask you a couple more questions you've been plant-based for how long now since 2011 2011 and your son now is two so if you do the math you were plant-based while you were pregnant that's correct i guess when you became pregnant you were pretty steadfast that you were you were going to stay on that right yeah but i would say that so pregnancy it it tends to induce a lot of anxiety in women for you know all of our health habits so women who who smoke tend to quit smoking when they're pregnant if they're drinking alcohol to excess or at all they maybe they cut down or completely eliminate their alcohol consumption Um, and people tend to just question everything that they're doing and so I knew that I I thought I was a healthy you know a woman of childbearing age, but then when I actually have a child inside me, um, how confident am I, right? right. It calls into to question. So I would say I had a heightened level of anxiety during that time and doing a lot of my own research into, you know, I, we had a conversation about protein in our in our household. Mm-hmm. And so for a little while, I have an, an app on my phone. It's called Lose It. And usually people use it for weight loss. I was using it to make sure that I was getting enough protein. And of course, I was. Um, I had no problem satisfying my protein requirements sure. um, during pregnancy. But, you know, just kind of getting some extra reassurance once again, just looking at it objectively. Not to say like, oh, I know my diet is healthy. I don't need to think about it anymore. But, you know, if you wanted to get some extra reassurance by tracking your protein you could do that um also just talking to you know i talked to my my 
OB gynecologist at that point um, who had a little bit of information, but definitely not um, as much information as I would like regarding a plant-based diet. So I'd encourage all pregnant women to maybe meet with a, a registered dietitian specifically one that has a lot of experience with people who are following plant-based diets right. to talk about specific nutrients and things you should avoid and things you should go for more for. So, yeah. Um, but it, it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, obviously I've never been pregnant and probably never will be. Hopefully. Um, that kind of apprehension about nutrition, I mean, regardless of what diet you're following, that's probably a very common thing. Yeah. 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 So. It's just a state of... Oh my gosh! I have somebody's else, somebody else's life to think about in addition to my own, and it's right. a lot of responsibility. I would imagine so. <laughs> I would yes. seriously imagine. Show. I mean, wow. Um, I mean, my, it's a lot of women I know they stop painting their nails during pregnancy. Do we know that that's a problem? I don't think so. But you know, we just are super worried. Got to be cautious. Got to be cautious. Worried. Protect the baby at all costs. Right, right. Um, well, let's let's end with kind of a fun question. What was sure. the weirdest vegan craving you got? Did you get any weird cravings like I want, you know, peanut butter and pickles <laughs> or something like that? I did not. I ate a lot of sweet potatoes and I tended to cover them in spaghetti sauce. So I'd get like a jar of spaghetti sauce and I would load it up with like a lot of greens and flax and other like helpful yeah. things that kind of just, you know, boil down into nothing. And it was basically just a really hearty spaghetti sauce. And then I'd put it over a sweet potato. So I joked that my child is, he's made of sweet potatoes, really. That is interesting. <laughs> That's a good nickname for a child instead of like sweet, sweet pea. Hey, you know sweet potato? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's phenomenal. So uh, sweet potato, no no pasta with that sauce. It was it was just on the... Uh... I did not crave pasta at that point. I lo- wow. eat a lot more pasta now than I used to, but yeah. Do you still eat the, the sweet potato spaghetti oh, sauce Oh, of course. Combo? Yeah. That's... Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Well, I would imagine. It sounds good. <laughs> and you know what else looks good is your Instagram, which you, I mean... You're a nurse practitioner, but honestly, you could have a second career, a side hustle, as the kids say, <laughs> as a chef. Because Thank what you. you post on there, and I told you this the last Thanks. time you were on, phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. And I do try to also post some things about how to feed a two-year-old, a toddler, on my Instagram as well. So, you know, cutting foods into little shapes. I have a little elephant, like, cookie cutter that I've used to make um, stamp into, like, beets, for example. It yeah. makes beets a little bit more exciting for a kid. So try to incorporate stuff for the adults and also stuff for the kids, too. Informational and uh, aesthetically pleasing. Oh, thank you. So that is a rarity. So <laughs> and, and you're good with food presentation. I mean, I'm dead serious. Did you study <laughs> photography or something? Like, what is the score here? No, I have some good filters on my phone. And I have... I confess, there was one time I made a, like I sliced an avocado and it's a little brown, right? Yeah. There's some brown spots and I did airbrush that out at some point. And I, I thought, knew it. I've reached it. a new level of Instagram that I'm airbrushing it. my avocados. Do you carry around uh, one of those lights on the, you know, you can clip <laughs> no. it to the front of your cell phone so you can get that primo lighting for your pictures? No, but I should. Lighting is key. Lighting is absolutely key. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> Side hustle, cook, photographer, yes. nurse practitioner. Yeah. You, you are just, you are a woman of many hats okay. and mother, of course.
The Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee rolls on. The weight loss champion Chuck Carroll here with you still on Twitter and Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC. And be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, wherever it is that you get your audio from. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Thank you very much. Now, so far we've talked to mom and we've talked to dad, but we have not talked to the kid. Until now, we had a visitor in the office recently. She's the daughter of one of my coworkers, and I thought, wouldn't it be fun to see what it's like to be vegan from her perspective? What is she like? What doesn't she ever want to see on her plate? And is a tomato really a fruit? A lot of plant-based personality here with Maya. Today, we're talking about vegan parenting, but... We've kicked all the parents out of the room, and right now we have a kid. How old are you, Maya? Nine years old. Nine years old. Now, Maya, what are some of your favorite vegan foods? Burritos. Burritos? What kind of burritos? You can do any kind of burritos. So what's in said burrito? Mm, Rice. Um. (laughs) Beans, maybe? Yeah, beans. um, Of course, you have the wrapping. Yep, the tortilla. You put any lettuce or tomato or anything in there? Onions. So beans, rice, onions wrapped up in a burrito. That's not bad. Now, here at the Physicians Committee where your dad works, we are all about the fruits and vegetables. So the important question is a lot of kids, they just, I don't want to eat my fruits and vegetables. I don't want Brussels sprouts. I don't want broccoli. Because the broccoli is too mushy and they overcook it, the parents Look at that. this. Look at this. So do you... My father told me. Do you like broccoli? Yeah. Yeah? Sort of. Now, if you can tell me your five favorite vegetables, what would they be? That's going to be hard. I know. That's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, that's uh, a tough one. I'm assuming uh, on- onions might be on there just because they were in the burrito. This okay. Lettuce, fruit, fruit uh, vegetable. Well, lettuce vegetable. is definitely a vegetable. Brussels sprouts? Ah, good call. Mm, maybe. You know, while you're pondering, why don't I tell you my favorites? And maybe you can get some inspiration. What do you think about that? Yeah. Okay. In no particular order, spinach, kale, Brussels sprouts, tomatoes, carrots. Tomatoes are fruits. But you put them at seed. Now, this is another debate. Technically, yes, a tomato is a fruit. However... Would you really classify tomatoes in the same category as an apple? Like, would you eat the two together? No. You eat the tomato with the vegetable 99% of the time. Therefore, in my book, technically correct or not, I will always argue that the tomato is a vegetable, regardless of the seeds. Now then, we've got two for you. Can you think of a third? Olives. Olives. Olives are not a fruit. Those are a vegetable. Very good. Yeah. And uh, what about what about vegetables uh, or fruits, rather? Do, do you Watermelon, ha- um, cantaloupe, cherries Good. sometimes. Mm-hmm. I do not like bananas. No? Not a yeah. banana fan? Yeah. No? Bleh. Bleh. No? Bleh. But isn't it Bleh. fun to say banana-rama? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, dates. Dates, I guess. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Dates are pretty versatile. You know, I made strawberry milk, quote unquote, with dates, strawberries. Oh, blueberries, the fat ones. The f- well, you can't get skinny blueberries. If you're going to eat a blueberry, it has to be fat, right? What I mean is like the big ones are usually sweet. Good call. We 
covered a lot of ground today, but there still is more to cover. You may be asking yourself, how do I do this thing? Well, we've got a lot of resources online. We're going to put it really easily right at your fingertips. All you need to do, hop on over to pcrm.org slash podcast, click on the vegan parenting page, and there will be your wealth of information. I want to close by saying this, you know, the tide is beginning to turn. It's okay if you're dismayed by the fact that one out of every five children in this country is obese. But the truth of the matter is, these are all just success stories waiting to happen. And you can help make that happen by listening to the show and sharing it with others, spreading the knowledge, spreading the hope. You can help make those stories come to life. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you get your favorite podcasts from. And if you would be so kind, as always, to give us a five-star rating, we sure would appreciate it. If you want to schedule a visit up at the Barnard Medical Center, maybe you want to meet with Gretchen, maybe you want to see one of our other nutritionists up there, or Dr. Steve Niebuhr, Dr. Jim Loomis, you can always do that. Just go to barnardmedicalcenter.com. For now, I'm the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening to The Exam Room, brought to you by the Physician's Committee.